And welcome to the Unhinged Sports Network exclusive NHL show, Two for Chirping, with your hosts, Ken, Trevor, and Jimmy. Two for Chirping is brought to you by our partners at Fanatics and Fubo TV. Just to let everyone know, this is the first episode that's also going to air on the Unhinged Sports Network YouTube channel. And on this week's episode, we're going to do our regular segment, Studs and Duds, where we take a look back at the week that was in the NHL, what caught our eyes, who made great plays, and, well, who didn't. We're also going to do our weekly Around the Board segment, where we go over the news and notes from the league and talk about all the great stories and some of the not great stories. We're also going to introduce a new segment to the show this week, where we do Ask the Unhinged Experts where we're going to have some questions raised to us and we're going to answer them as best we can. <clears throat> uh, the reason for the new uh, segment that we're going to do this week is as a group, we've decided to go away from our uh, weekly games of the week, pick them. Uh, we've had a few reasons why we've chosen to do this uh, in the NHL this year. There's been a lot of blackouts and regional games. And so we're just not as much on TV and we've also found that because of the way the divisional play is set up, we're really only paying attention to the divisions that our teams are playing in. So we've, we've actually found it a little bit difficult to pick some of the other games because we're just not watching them. So unless things change, we, we've decided to go away from the weekly games or the games of the week pick them. Uh, to yeah, start off the show, oh, go ahead, Jimmy. I was just going to say that's been tough and I'll blame that on my poor record from the last week. Cause I know I went perfect the first time, but Oh, and eight kind of brought me back down the earth. Yeah, I guess we did do some pick them last week. So we might as well go over some of those results. Do we, do um, we have to, I, you know what? I, I would like to go through some of the results. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy went a perfect six and zero oh in week uh, in the week one of choosing games uh, in week two, Jimmy went a perfect zero oh and eight. Uh, he didn't get any of the games right this week. Uh, Ken, Ken Bleacher Connection two wasn't much, uh, wasn't far behind Jimmy either. Uh, Ken went a stellar one and seven. Um, we we had Preston from uh, in the Marbles uh, Racing podcast on last week, and he went a little bit more respectable three and five. And there's one other guy on this show I can't remember who that was and. He may have gone seven and one on the, on the games last week. So I'm not sure these guys wanted to actually go away from the pick them, but they were a little tired of getting blown away by me. That's okay. I mean, you got to make up for the, the way the flames are playing anyway. So you might as well win the pick them if, if that's how Calgary is going to finish out the season. Yeah. Unfortunately uh, it hasn't been a stellar week for my Calgary flames. Um, no, they're not going to be my dud, but after, after the game I just watched tonight, they very well could have been. So I'm uh, the gloating's over. I'm going to leave it at that. I just remember the season's still early. It's still early. We got about another week to use that line and then it goes away. Just a reminder we're also doing portions of the show with our new partner of the Unhinged Sports Network, ColorCast. So if you have an iPhone, uh, use the link in the far end of the bench Twitter bio at FEOTB pod. And then also you can probably find that link strewn around all the different podcasts on the unhinged sports network, but that's especially with the new segment, ask the unhinged experts. If you guys catch us live, you can send in questions and I'll, uh, I'll see if I can, we can stump these uh, Canadian hockey juggernauts. Hockey juggernauts. Well, I don't know about that. 
Well, I mean, compare comparatively, you two are the encyclopedias of hockey knowledge. The pressure is on now. The pressure yeah. is on. If you're watching on Colorcast, take it easy on us. Well, before we get going on uh, the all hockey talk all the time, NFL playoffs, we've got our Super Bowl matchup. Jimmy, why don't you, uh, why don't you lead off with this? Yeah, Super Bowl matchup that I don't think many people, if you don't live in Tampa Bay, uh, expected. Kansas City won the AFC Championship, beating the Bills pretty handedly. Um, and then Tampa Bay, for whatever reason, was able to take advantage of Green Bay not really showing up in the NFC Championship. Tom Brady, I believe this is his 10th Super Bowl. Number 10. I, I don't know. I saw a crazy stat to where he's he's 47% likely to make the Super Bowl just based off his career statistics, which is higher than Steph Curry's three-point percentage uh, in, in the league right now in the NBA. So that's kind of insane. Um, but honestly, these are probably two of the – like we said last week, whoever won the championship games, we were going to get two of the best teams left in the NFL. So it's not all bad. And Tampa's not there because of Tom Brady, even though that, that doesn't hurt. Tampa's there because their defense, and they showed that on last Sunday when they, they forced turnovers at the right times. They picked off Aaron Rodgers, I think, twice and uh, forced a fumble that, that was pretty costly. They were just able to hang on. So, I mean, it was disappointing because I think that the Packers-Chiefs would have been just an absolute shootout, um, and we'll see, I guess, what Tampa's able to do to try and stop the, the onslaught that is Kansas City's offense. But not, not necessarily disappointing, just a little bit surprising. Yeah, I think uh, Tom Brady, his playoff wins are, I think, third overall amongst teams. Like, there's not many teams that have more playoff victories than Tom Brady. And I'm I'm not a Brady fan. I give him credit. He's a very good quarterback. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in there. But let, can, we, let's, can we talk about Tampa for a second here? The Rays losing the World Series. The Lightning win the Stanley Cup. And the Bucks are in the Super Bowl all in the same year, all within the same time period. Like, should we be testing the water in Tampa to see if they're pumping in some, you know, HGH or just steroids? Like, what is going on there that this city <laughs> is just putting teams in championships? They're also the first team in NFL history to play in a Super Bowl in their home stadium. Because yep. yep. Tampa was the host stadium this year, and, and – Tom Brady can add that to his legacy. I'll also throw out one more crazy stat because this just blew my mind when I heard it on the radio. He has 80 postseason touchdowns, which is first by 35. The next closest quarterback has 45, and I think it's either Rodgers or Brett Favre in postseason touchdowns. But he, I, I don't know. It's just getting ridiculous at this point. He has, he tied the amount of NFC championship wins that both Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers has, and this is his first year in that conference. Yeah, <laughs> but 18% of every Super Bowls ever played have featured Tom Brady, and he has 32 postseason wins. That, that's Think about it. That's two full regular seasons worth of just playoff victories. There, there's franchises, franchises that will never get to that total. Yeah. It's insane. I am a bit of a Brady fan. Like, I'm not uh, – I'm not going to profess to be the hugest NFL follower, but uh, you know, I, I've watched and kind of, I guess you don't say grown up in the Brady era, give the guy the props. He's the greatest of all time. And you know, whether you like him or not, there's, there's just no denying it. And I kind of want him to win. 
I, I'm not sure he will, but I kind of want him to win just to, uh, as a big FU to the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, I guess. Does he walk away if he wins this one? Or does he stay and play another year? I think with the way that he's played, he definitely feels like he has a few more seasons left in him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, depending on – I think that next year we'll probably see a little bit more like what we saw with Drew Brees this year where the physical ability just yeah, – at every at some point, father time's going to catch up to you and your physical ability is just going to go like that. So I can see him maybe having another season and maybe having a bad year, down year, not really successful, and then stepping away. Um, but he's not – Obviously, he's not the kind of guy that's going to leave after he wins a championship. I mean, he's won six already, and he's ready for another one, just just the same as the rest. Yeah, the Drew Brees, that, that was kind of – it was hard to watch him this year. And I, I am a fan of Drew Brees. I just – I love that high octane. As a Canadian Football League fan, we're used to watching high octane, lots of points, lots of passing. So guys like Drew Brees, uh, naturally, I enjoy watching that. And it was hard watching him play this year. And it's too bad that it did break down so fast for him. Yeah, I mean, give him all the credit in the world because it came out after the season that he was not only playing with that rib injury everybody knew, but a torn ligament in his rotator cuff, a torn plantar fascia in his foot, which I said it on the far end of the bench with Nico. A torn fascia in your foot as a quarterback, that's almost impossible to overcome because you have to plant off your foot and – yeah. You can't do that without that ligament in your in your foot. So I think I, it would have been nice to see him go out on a little bit better of a note and throwing an interception as one of his last passes in the yeah. NFL is a little bit rough. But he's still first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no no doubt about it. He's top five in every single quarterback statistical category and leads a few of them, depending on how much longer Brady plays. We, he might not have any more of the records, but yeah, he'll still exactly. be top five in a yeah. lot of them. Yeah, and it was interesting, like, both – you talk about Breeze and, you know, he and Rivers both ending their careers in the same year. You know, Breeze moved to New Orleans because of Rivers or, you know, was kind of the guy coming in behind. So, two two quarterbacks that the NFL is going to miss and, you know, make some uh, interesting changes in the offseason for some teams. I think it's going to be a very interesting offseason in the NFL. You've got Deshaun Watson already asking for a trade. You got Matthew Stafford on the block. Like there are going to be some familiar faces in unfamiliar places behind center next year. Yeah. There's tons of room and tons of different possibilities that can work out. Cause who knows what Philadelphia is going to do with Wentz too. Yeah. Aaron um, Rodgers. Aaron, yeah. Aaron Rodgers kind of came out. He was on the Pat McAfee show after the game and, and said that he was pretty disappointed after the loss, but what he said wasn't a clear indication that he doesn't want to stay. I think that he probably should move on if we're being honest, because that organization has wasted him. That's one of the biggest wastes of talent that I can remember in a long, long time. Um, but I, I know we'll miss seeing Breeze and Rivers play, but we're going to be seeing them every single week because those two guys with the personalities they have, they're going to be in the booth calling, calling games for some broadcasting network. Well, doesn't Breeze already have that contract signed to join? I think a... he's – is it Monday Night Football for him? It's or... one of them, either Monday or Thursday. I think he he got scooped up, I think, before the season even started that he was going to join it, join one of those crews. Makes sense. I mean, a guy would – they 
obviously go after quarterbacks for the color analysts for games. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And he's one of the smarter ones well-spoken rivers is just be entertaining because of the phrases that he's going to use. Cause he doesn't curse. That's his, his good thing. I could probably learn a thing or two. If you listen to the, the first episode of, of this show, I could probably learn a thing or two from him, but I think he's going to be just, he'll rivers kind of seems more like he'll be closer to Tony Romo. I don't necessarily like listening to Tony Romo call games, but it is entertaining. I actually, I do enjoy uh, listening to Romo call games just because he's got that quarterback perspective where he's like, they're going to do this. They're going to do this. They're going to call this play. And it's not always right, but I, he is right sometimes. And I think it brings a really fresh perspective of, to me, I'm more of a casual fan to hear like, a, I don't want to say legend, but definitely a solid NFL quarterback really break the play down. I, I think it's really refreshing. And I think it's revolutionized the almost the color commentary role in, in the NFL. And I think you're going to see more sports go that way as well. Yeah. I think having a quarterback in there helps because they can read the defense and break down a play probably better than a wide receiver or defensive player on color commentary there. They can read it as it goes and make those, make those calls during the game. Well, I mean, if you want to look at a wide receiver doing color commentary, the Sunday night football with Chris Collinsworth is almost unbearable to sit through. I just you know, <laughs> don't enjoy that at all. Um, but yeah, I think I agree that it, as a guy who played football for his whole life and knows enough, it Romo gets a little bit too much for me at times, but I could see if you're not familiar or if you don't watch a whole bunch all the time. Uh, Romo would be a good guy to, to have your first game with because he's going to break down every single thing that you're seeing on the field. Uh, it was interesting with him and Nance. They were doing what Tony Romo was broadcasting from home and Jim Nance was at the stadium. So we were getting a lot of talking over people, which we kind of know a thing or two about that on this show because we do that more often than not. <laughs> but it was an interesting dynamic with uh, this the way the season went when they were uh, – I did not watch the Nickelodeon broadcast of the Bears Saints game. I watched their broadcast and they were just all over each other, just jumping in on top of each other. Yeah, I think we only got the Nickelodeon feed. Uh, we get, we'd see it on Twitter. That was about it. You, you didn't miss too much. It was interesting. And there was an F bomb dropped on in the first five minutes. So, yeah, but I showed it to my kids. They enjoyed it. And, it had it it reached the intended market, but my kids haven't subsequently gone. Hey, can I watch another football game? So we'll see if they go back to that or not. It, it was a unique idea, that's for sure. I could see it as like a once every year thing until it picks up a little bit of steam. But that yeah. it was definitely, I think, with everything else going on, they needed something to with no fans or or anything like that. They needed something to get people going, and that was a decent enough idea and like you said it hit the target market i'm sure kids love watching young sheldon explain what penalties are and and what was going to happen and the slime cannons when somebody scored even though i'm sure there were probably a few people that were wishing the bears scored a little bit more Um, (laughs) i think the best part about the nickelodeon game was the if you listen to a barstool sports any of their podcasts pardon my take tweeted out and they they kind of rigged the MVP voting for the Nickelodeon MVP and made it Mitchell Trubisky. And the only bad part about that was the announcers on Nickelodeon didn't understand the joke as to why Mitch Trubisky got voted as the Nickelodeon MVP. It was not because he played the best. It was because they thought the Nickelodeon MVP would get slimed. So they wanted to see Mitch get slimed. <laughs> nice. 
yeah, I think the uh, the offseason for the NFL, uh, the quarterback carousel could be very similar to what we saw in this uh, this last offseason for the NHL with the uh, the goalie carousel. And I think you're going to see a, a lot of kind of a, wow, he went there. So I'm interested to see it. And, and I think it, it uh, it's going to be exciting. Definitely. There's yep. so many, like we said, so many different options. And then we're going to see guys like a Joe Thornton in Toronto, where it just doesn't look right for the first few games, but you'll have or, to get used to it at some point. Forever. <laughs> yeah. Some, some never look from never look good. Corey Perry and uh, Montreal Canadian colors either is just a tad off. So I think we'll save our Super Bowl predictions for next week's show. So we can uh, do a little bit more research on it. I, I think we might all pick the same team, but we'll, uh, we'll save those picks for next week. Uh, moving on into the, uh, the hockey talk in two for chirping. We're going to start with our, our weekly studs and duds of the week where who caught our eye, who, who did we roll our eyes at this week? And uh, Ken, why don't you start it off with your first or your stud of the week? All right. So my, my stud of the week, I kind of went back and I took a look at someone who was highly touted last year. First overall pick of the New Jersey Devils, Jack Hughes. I went back because was I saw a couple stories over the last couple weeks where he really put in the work this offseason to get a little bigger, get a little stronger. Uh he didn't have a great season last year, especially when you take, take the fact that he was the first overall pick, a lot of expectations, probably too much for a young guy going into a, into a situation in New Jersey. That wasn't great. The team's not doing well, hasn't done well. Uh, very up and down with who knew, who knew what was going to happen with Taylor Hall, but Jack Hughes so far through six games has three goals and seven points. And you're going to say, that's a stud of the week? Well, when you take it back and look at his stats last year, he only had 21 points in 61 games last year. And for I believe, yeah, well, so his breakdown last year was seven goals and 14 assists. So he's already at, you know, a third of his point total from last year in six games. If he can keep up what he's done already – he should have a great season and maybe that helps New Jersey turn start to turn it around because they have a lot of young talent and to get that team moving forward, that young talent, especially Jack Hughes is going to have to drive it. So for that reason, uh, six games, seven points, Jack Hughes is my son of the week. Yeah. If as a first overall pick, you could get point of game production out of a guy. I think you would probably take that if you're the New Jersey devils, uh, like you mentioned, it was, it was a tough uh, rookie season for him last year, only having, you know, roughly, what'd you say? It was 30 points, Ken? No, 21 points. 21 points, games. sorry. Yeah, sorry. 21 points. He's on pace for roughly 50 in, in 56 games. So good on him. I hope he does turn it around. New Jersey needs that star power, uh, especially after losing Taylor Hall. You know, can it also get Nico Heischer going? Uh, scoring on higher levels. I, I hope so. You know, New Jersey's had some first overall picks and l let's hope they use them appropriately. Unlike some other teams that uh, didn't use their first overall picks appropriately. And, and I hope for the devil's sake, Jack Hughes keeps this going because it, it's, a, he, he's an exciting player and I, and I wish the best for him. 
Yeah, it's almost it almost just takes one stud that that is young and it kind of turns your culture around. If you can find that one centerpiece and then just build around it, it can change your entire franchise to where you're not picking first every single year in any sport. And it it, it happens in it all all throughout the leagues. Um, so I, I have faith as much as I don't really like New Jersey. I have faith that they're probably going to start turning around a little bit um, and we won't see them picking first all the time. That'll be reserved for the Red Wings because they're, they're not doing anything to get better. Yeah. I, I actually had this conversation today with a coworker that, you know, you look back over the years, a team that did it right. And they always didn't, they didn't have that high name, high pick in the draft, but that, sorry, Jimmy, it was Detroit. Detroit would find those gems in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, develop them in the minors, and then just push out superstar after superstar because they didn't see the NHL until they were 22, generally, and they were ready to go. So many teams nowadays, they got that, they're pumping prospects from the time they're 16, 17 years old. So when they get drafted at 18 in the first round, in the top 10, Everyone expects him to step in, play, and be an impact player. That's not going to happen. It, it, the Edmonton Oilers are a perfect example of what not to do. They were the complete opposite of the Detroit model. The Detroit model worked for so long, but not a lot of teams did it. Yeah. The, the, go ahead, Jimmy. I was just going to say the, the Nathan McKinnons and Sidney Crosby's where they come in and are phenoms right away are not every single year. Detroit also did a good job of tapping into that Eastern European market too. Cause when you look back at all their great teams, a lot of vowels and consonants in the last names, but they were all very, very, very talented. So I, as much as I hate the Red Wings, I do respect what they, they had. And I, I don't know, it's not, it's not the same having them not in the Western conference. So they don't play the avalanche as much, but I, I wouldn't mind seeing them get back. It's always more fun to beat a good team than just beat up on a bad team. Yeah, it amazes me how a team like the Red Wings, some of the greatest players in their franchise history are third-round picks, sixth-round picks. You got what Nick Lidstrom, I think, was a third-round pick, and he might be the greatest defenseman in NHL history. Ken and I actually debated that on the Bleacher Connection a couple weeks ago, and uh, Ken had him as the greatest defenseman in NHL history. I had him at number two. You got guys, Pavel Datsuk, I think was a sixth-round pick, maybe. Might have been lower. Yeah, He was one of the greatest Red Wings of all time. Henrik Zetterberg. Zetterberg. Yeah, yeah. Those, those guys weren't first overall picks. And I, just, I don't understand why so many teams didn't copy that equation. The Red Wings never, never went away from it. They never got that flashy piece and went, okay, now we're going to put them in. And I just think it's the way to go. Develop these guys, let them get used to – the adult game before you put them in. So hopefully the, the salary cap era has changed everything where you have too. to have, you have to have young players on entry level contracts contributing or your team can't be good. It's I agree with that. They should develop players like the red wings, but the economics of the game just don't allow it anymore. So it's too bad because you are seeing players rushed into the league and, and I'll look at Jesse Pugliarvi in Edmonton as well had to leave the league essentially and now coming back and is having a little bit of success because he was rushed. And so unfortunately it hurts some, some of the younger players, but we're definitely seeing a a faster, higher skill game as a result of it. So I will say that Hughes family is stacked for talent. 
Uh, that they are. Yeah. Because there's a third one on the way, too. Man, if only I could get some of those genes in, in my gene pool. <laughs> yeah, I got the hockey watching genes, not the hockey playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even have the hockey playing genes at all. I, I'd never even, I could barely get up on roller skates, let alone ice skates. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's your stud of the week, Jimmy? Uh, mine are going to be kind of biased and a little bit homered. I am going to go with Miko Rantanen as my stud of the week, just because he's on a goal streak right now. I think he's six game goal streak or something like that. So uh, I'm going to attribute a lot of that to Nathan McKinnon and, and just being on such a talented line because he's always going to have opportunity to score, but he's able that, that, that connection between those two is specials going back to last year in the playoffs. We saw a couple times where it was a saucer pass and the puck never even hit the ice before Rantanen was slapping it in the back of the net. It, it was be- a beautiful thing to watch and they're picking up right where they left off. So Miko Rantanen's my, my stud of this week. Yeah, Miko Rantanen, I think, could be a stud of the week every week. The guy is such a good player. Yeah, he's sitting at the top of the goal scorers list right now. So, Yeah, not hard. It, no, it, it's biased, but it's also factual. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's not wrong when it's right. I think every week we could probably pick a member of the Colorado Avalanche as a stud of the week because they're going to do – every game you watch, someone does something remarkable and, and their point totals are going to be gaudy and – it's just such a well, it's such a stacked team, like we've said so many times. Yeah, it's either going to be um, the an Avalanche player or the opposing goaltender, because you either get an av- Avalanche team that's going to score nine goals, or the opposing goaltender is just going to be doing cartwheels in the in the crease the entire night. Because the Anaheim performance, which I'm sure we could talk about a little bit later, that was just unreal. I, I don't even know the goalie's name, but it, he was absolutely on fire that night. Well, your, your topic of hot goalies actually uh, leads right into my – got to go my runner-up stud of the week because I, I picked a stud of the week that actually has nothing to do with anything happening in hockey, but I think we need to recognize it anyway. So I actually picked a runner-up stud of the week, and to me that, that's some hot goalie performances. Uh, Thatcher Demko in Vancouver, after facing a lot of criticism in his first few starts – in two games this past week, put up over 80 saves and only gave up two goals in, in two, two games against the Ottawa Senators. Now, granted, it is the Ottawa Senators, but w- when you're only giving up one goal on 40 shots, you're doing something right. Uh, so he answered the bell to a, a very slow start. And I got to give a shout out to Anton Hudobin in Dallas. And I'm one who I'm, I didn't foresee this happening. He's 3-0 and with the Dallas Stars with a .099 goals against average and a 9.58 save percentage. I have never been on the uh, Anton Hudobin train. He stood on his head in the playoffs in a Stanley Cup run last year, and he's starting off the season in fine style. Uh, and 3-0, and under one goals against average, just phenomenal numbers. So... Congrats to to Anton Hudobin. Yeah, I'm a little little surprised as well because you see those types of runs in the playoffs, and Thatcher Demko had it as well against Vegas in in that in that round when he had to come in with with uh, Markstrom's injury. It happens; they get on that run, and like 
I, I watched one of those games against Ottawa that you mentioned. Yeah, they they had a lot of shots. The other night, the first period, they outshot the Canucks 23-7. to And that, they weren't all grade-A chances, but you still got to stop the puck and be in position. And when he had to make those big saves, Thatcher Demko did. So it was nice to see as a Canucks fan that he uh, he did do that. But, yeah, good open. Yeah, if he keeps that up, I think Ben Bishop could find himself with a new address shortly. I did not expect Hudobin. I thought that was going to be a magical run in the playoffs. But even, I mean, looking across to all the leagues that did the bubble return, nobody came back with their same bubble performance. And Hudobin's the one guy that I can remember where he was great in the playoffs in the bubble. And now he's been great so far this season. Uh, and, and I agree with you, Ken. I, I thought the biggest mistake Dallas made last year was putting Ben Bishop into the game against the avalanche when Hudobin was on such a hot streak. And now, I mean, who knows if he's ever going to get a chance to fully solidify his number one position again. Yeah. That could be an interesting story that plays out in Dallas over the course of uh, the next month or two. If Hudobin keeps it up. I'll, I'll take Ben Bishop on the avalanche. Cause we could shore up our, our backup or just one oh. A and one B. <laughs> well, I, I think this one will play out into the off season. I, I, would have to look it up. I don't know Bishop's uh, contract situation, if he's a UFA at the end of the year or not. But if he isn't, uh, he could either be exposed at the expansion draft or or potentially traded, depending on what his contract looks like. Because in this season, you need two goaltenders that can that can go because you got to – usually it's a game night, day off, and back-to-back with a day off before you're playing two more in a row. So you have to have two goaltenders rolling. If you don't – you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I believe Bishop is is locked up long term. When he got dealt, uh, when there was the rumors of the Calgary Flames picking him up a few seasons ago, there was all the extension talk, and I believe he ended up signing a relatively long and lucrative deal with Dallas uh, to stay there. So and the expansion draft t- uh, talk with him is is legit. So I definitely. Dallas could have an issue there. And I think uh, you could see one of them moved this off season. Well, he did sign his deal in 2017. So it's only a few years in. Yeah. So my actual stud of the week though, and again, this really has nothing to do with anything that happened on the ice, but I, as a, a huge hockey fan, I, I think we have to recognize it. And that is Wayne Gretzky turned 60 this week. I I think we have to recognize the great one turning 60. The guy had the most amazing career in NHL history. He had 1,487 games played, 894 goals, 1,963 assists, amassing 2,857 career points. He had more assists in his career then the next highest player had points. So you could remove his goals and he'd still be the highest point getter in NHL history. He went to 18 all-star games. He won four Stanley Cups. He had two Conn Smythes, nine-time Hart Trophy winner for best player in the league. So it pains me because he played for the Edmonton Oilers and he torched my Calgary Flames so many times, but we have to recognize Wayne Gretzky turning 60. Yeah. You talk about Wayne Gretzky torching your flames a lot. A lot of his milestone and big achievements 
came against the Vancouver Canucks more than one time. I had to watch him celebrate a huge milestone. And what pains me in that is if the Canucks had shown a little patience, there's a story that apparently they were very close to getting Wayne Gretzky when he, I think it was when he went to St. Louis, they, they essentially, I think called him in the middle of the night to try and get a decision. And that was the the straw that broke the camel's back and he, he ended up leaving. But yeah, I, I got to watch Wayne Gretzky celebrate many, many achievements against my team. I think the only thing I kind of wish Wayne Gretzky didn't do was get into coaching. And, and because that is the one thing where he didn't see as much success with that. And it kind of takes me to a line, I believe it's uh, mystery Alaska. When I think it's uh, Russell, Russell Crowe, his uh, girlfriend, wife asked him, well, how come you coach? He's like, well, those that can do and those that can't coach. And that just, it resonates because the good players, they just do it. Everything is so natural to them. For, so when you could just see how he played the game, that wasn't, you know, that was just natural talent on display all the time. And he definitely, it's hard not to say he's the best player in the game. Yeah. And he also, I, I think we also have to recognize him because he's the reason why that Los Angeles Kings franchise was able to remain entrenched because it, it wasn't a big thing in Los Angeles up until he got there. And then even though they didn't have quite the success they had in Edmonton winning all those Stanley Cups, they were competitive once he got there. And uh, him and Robitaille were, were good for however many years they were there together. Obviously, I didn't actually get to watch Gretzky play ever, but just hearing all the stories and uh, the, the main thing that sticks out, I read Chris Jericho's book series that he put out and the night that Gretzky had his last game, he unplugged his phone, had a special message saying, I'm watching Wayne Gretzky's last game, leave a message and I might get back to you tomorrow. But it wasn't wasn't like he was going to answer the phone or anything. And McMahon actually called him to bring him to the WWE and he heard the message and got Jericho somehow figured out it was McMahon calling. And then he called him back and said, Oh yeah, it's Gretzky's last game. He's a big deal to you Canadians. Huh? So obviously <laughs> the, him turning 60 is a huge milestone and everything that he did as a player, I mean, it's just, it's never going to be topped. It, there's never going to be a career quite as good as what he had. Yeah. I think the uh, Anaheim city of Anaheim and San Jose can thank Wayne Gretzky for them having franchises right now. Cause if he what didn't if he didn't go to LA and help put them on the map, I don't think you're going to see hockey in California. Yeah, he he made hockey in California. The guy hasn't played in what 15, 20 years, and and hockey still thrives in that in that uh, state because of him. So it, huge huge impact on the game. So we're going to move into our duds of the week now. And Jimmy, why don't you uh, lead us off on this one? Uh, it's actually kind of similar to what your backup stud of the week was. And mine was bad goalie performances, mainly the, the avalanche. Francis, who Pablo Francis was, is our backup goaltender. He's been injured. And the guy they brought up from the Colorado Eagles is just not ready to play at this level, um, which is fine because we have Grubauer as our number one, but obviously we can't let him play every single night because he's never shown that he can't finish a season without an injury. So uh, backup goaltending performances, like Ken said, you got to have two this season, especially to go anywhere. And right now I just, it's, it's 
kind of making me hesitate on the avalanche a little bit. I think they'll be fine once Francis maybe gets back and solidifies that number two spot. But right now it's, they're going to have to score nine goals a game when they have their backup goalie in just to be competitive. Cause uh, it's, it's not good right now. Well, and what's tough with that too, is when you have a goalie in net that the team doesn't have confidence in, they play a lot tighter and they, a good team can look like the Chicago Blackhawks or Detroit Red Wings on a, on a, on a night like that. Uh, you have to have confidence in your goaltender. And if you don't have it, you're going to get poor performances all around. So you definitely need those two goaltenders rolling to be successful. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with anything about this season. You're going to need the goaltending. And if you're not going to get it, there could be some long nights. It happened with my team tonight. It was the first first game David Riddich started. And I'm not going to fault him in any way, but the team definitely played differently in front of him in getting shellac. So that's not a good omen. You need both your goalies going and you need the team in front of both the goalies going or you're you're going to have a long season. Everybody that you talk about too, when you have a Patrick Waugh or Marty Brodeur in the back, you can be a little bit more aggressive and take a little bit more chances. And sometimes you're not the most talented team on the, the attack, but when you know that your goalie is a brick wall and won't let dumb goals, soft goals go in, you can be a little bit more aggressive and push for the lead a little bit more and put pressure on the other team. When you have a backup goaltender or one that you don't trust, like, nobody's going to be looking to make a play because they're all just worried about if they make a mistake, it's going to turn into a goal. Yeah, it absolutely affects the team in front of you. Uh, a bad goal can be as big a letdown as anything in any game and cause a huge momentum swing. So a- absolutely critical, critical position in this, this season. So for my dud of the week, I'm not going to, go to a specific player or a a specific theme. I'm going to go to an actual play in a game. And my dud this week goes to the Pittsburgh Penguins who had a three on O in overtime against the Boston Bruins with a chance to win the game. You've got Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang and Brian Rust going in all alone on Tuka Rask. They didn't even get a shot on goal. They tried to be so cute and so fancy that they ended up passing themselves into the corner. And what made it worse, Boston took the puck right back and went down and scored the game-winning goal. So to me, that play, absolute dud. You had a chance to beat one of the front runners in your division and you didn't even get a shot on goal. Oh, you gave me flashbacks to last year when the Canucks gave up a three on O in overtime, except for none of the Canucks made it back past center. It's uh, before the puck was in the net. Yeah, that's a, that is definitely a dud of a play. If you're in three on O, even two on O in overtime like that, if you can't, if you can't put the puck in the net to win, that's, yeah, you deserve to be on that list for sure. And I can understand if the goalie makes a great save or whatever on you, sure, but to not even get a scoring chance out of it is just, that's just crazy and just terrible hockey management. And then, and then lose the game right after it because of it on, a, on another bad turnover. So Pittsburgh Penguins, yeah. I don't know what you were thinking there. Yeah. I think they're in for a bit of a tough season and I'm okay with that. Uh, it's not even 
it would be better if it wasn't like offensive players with the three on O. You have Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang who are known to be able to score, and you still don't even get a shot off. That's just, I, I, obviously it's hyperbole, but I would have been better to be on the ice at that point, just because I would have at least tried to put it towards the net. <laughs> just put it towards the net. You got three on O. You can get a rebound or something. Jeez. Yeah, just terrible, terrible play. Well, Ken, why don't you finish it up? What was your dud of the week? All right. So this one, I'm kind of going a little biased because I I watched the games, but or checked on one of them at least. But the Ottawa Senators this week have just been, you you brought it up. They had like 80 shots between the last, the first two games of that three-game series. They got beat with their number one goaltender in net, Matt Murray, in the first game, seven to one. Now that worried me as a Canucks fan because usually when a team gets embarrassed like that, whether it's on the road, at home, fans, no fans, they come out flying. They want they're going to play hard. They're going to take the body. They're going to get to the net. They're going to do everything they can to redeem themselves after that performance. Well, at the end of one, the game was tied at one. The Sens had outshot the Canucks very badly, twenty-three to seven. In the end, the Canucks won the game five to one, and the shot total I think was forty-one to thirty-six or thirty-seven. The Ottawa Senators had no pushback in that second game. They, it was just they were still there. They were just there playing, and it was I felt really bad because this is a young team, and the veteran leadership on that team needs to step up and help these young kids, the Brady Kachucks, the, the Tim Stutzels, you know, even Shabbat, these guys, they need someone around. like Shabbat's the captain. So he should be doing part of that himself. But this team has a lot of young talent. And if they don't find a way to reverse being embarrassed one game and coming back, if you, even if you lost the second game, three, two, two, one, whatever, but it was a more competitive game and you put that effort in and you felt good about it, whatever that you can, uh, whether you win or you lose sometimes is irrelevant. It's how you bounce back. I'm afraid if this team continues down this road of just getting embarrassed night in night out, that we will be seeing the same thing we saw with uh, Pierre Luc Dubois and Patrick Laine and Jack Ross Levick, where they all want out. And that is not going to be good for that franchise. They have supplied this league already with enough superstars. Uh, you know, Eric Carlson, Marion Gabrick, uh, no, not Gabrick, sorry, Marian, uh, Hosa. Hosa. Yeah, Hosa, Spezza, uh, Danny Heatley. The, the list goes on with the number of superstars that have come out of that organization that they can't keep because they, for whatever reason, they go into this rut of losing. So they are my dud for this week for just having zero pushback and what seems to me, my opinion only, zero leadership to get them turned around. Well, when you have a a young, young kid as your team captain, you're going to be in for nights like that. It's not, uh, I don't have an issue with Shabbat being the captain, but is he ready for it? I don't know if he is. Maybe Brady Kachuk should have been because at least he could be more of an emotional leader. But I picked Ottawa to be a little bit more competitive this year. 
in the all Canadian division and just in general. And so far I've been, I've been off base. So I, I I'm not convinced they're going to play very well at all this season. They, they've been shellacked a few games and it hasn't started well. And I thought they brought in some decent players this off season with like dad and off. And it just, it hasn't worked out yet. So yeah, I, I hope they turn it around. I had them at seven, but I did have optimism for this team that it wouldn't be a 10 and 46 season. It very well could be or worse. I don't that right now it is not looking good. The optimism I had for them is quickly going away. I mean, when you have a young team like that, it's almost like they go out and the first bad thing happens. It's when you put your head down as a, as an athlete, when you're competing against teams, that's when things start going down. And when you have as many young guys and no real veteran leadership to make sure everybody just, Hey, we gave up a goal. That's fine. We can get it back and get back into the game. It's almost like when they go down now, it's, Oh crap. Well, now we're losing. We're not going to be able to come back and might as well just pack it in and, and we'll see if we can come out and keep a lead next game. It's they got to figure something out because they should be able to be a little bit competitive but if they're going to continue to just give up as soon as they lose a lead or give up as soon as somebody scores two goals on them, it, like 10 and 46 sounds ridiculous. 10 and 46 might be a pretty uh, realistic possibility. It very well could be. So there you have it. That's our weekly studs and duds. Do you guys agree with us at all? Reach out on Twitter. Ken and I at the BleacherCon one at the BleacherCon two. Or you got Jimmy with Far End of the Bench at FEOTB Pod or on our Twitter at Two for Chirping. We'd love your feedback on the Senators, some of the, the hot goalies. Wayne Gretzky, what did you guys think? Is he the greatest player ever? I don't think there's any denying it, but I'd love to hear if you think otherwise. No, no. I don't, no. I mean, I, I there's sometimes where I think that Messier was a little bit, was pretty important on those. Edmonton teams because he was able to win without Gretzky, but like you were, you're going through Gretzky's stats and it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Nowhere near. Nobody's even close. Yeah. A lot of those, a lot of those guys on the Edmonton years with Gretzky have their stats because of Gretzky. He just made everyone else around them so much better. So moving into the next segment on our show, we're going to get into around the boards where we go through some of the news and notes from the league over the past week and what topics caught our eye. I think one main topic this week really caught our eye and Ken and I talked about it a little bit on our show, the bleacher connection. And it actually was part of our that's offside. And that is the Patrick Line and Pierre-Luc Dubois trade where essentially you had guys who didn't want to be in the city that they were in and they were quite vocal and whiny about it, get traded for each other. So you have Patrick Line, now a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets, along with Jack Roslovic, and Pierre-Luc Dubois, a member of the Winnipeg Jets. Ken, what did you think of this trade? Well, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you're trading problems for problems. I think maybe Winnipeg wins because they got a third-round draft pick out of it, and, well... They can't request request a trade, so that's a plus. Um, yet, yeah, yet, yeah. We'll, we'll one day see maybe if that's a new thing that draft picks can request to be traded. Depends on who they take, I guess. Uh, 
I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't know how Line is going to work with Tortorella. Tortorella has a very unique coaching style that not all flourish under. So it's going to be interesting to see if Pierre-Luc Dubois didn't like being in Columbus because Columbus didn't have uh, the nightlife or whatever, or the kind of he was looking for. Uh, he's not getting anything different in Winnipeg because Winnipeg was voted by the players as the worst road city in the NHL. Now, as someone who hasn't been to Winnipeg, I can't speak on that. So I just think it's interesting because Liney wanted out of Winnipeg for that reason. He didn't like that. There was also rumors that some of the teammates around him didn't treat him very well because someone one even went to as far to say that because he was also finished, they didn't want him to be more popular than Timo Solani in the city. I don't know. There's a lot around this. Hopefully all three players can put this behind them and flourish in their new environments. But yeah, I I'm surprised that uh, I'm surprised that they went problem for problem. Yeah. It just, I don't know why, especially in this season, you'd add a headache to the locker room. We talked about the locker room dynamic last week. And when you have guys that, don't necessarily have any faith in the organization that they're playing for. It starts to, the other guys take notice. So if you have Pierre-Luc Dubois complaining every single night about being stuck in Columbus, the other guys aren't going to be playing very well when he's on the ice. And now he goes to another situation that's going to be similar. Like I don't see the benefit from either side and I hope that I'm wrong, but I could really honestly, um, and this might be, this is probably a pretty good topic to welcome in the color cast listeners live. Um, but the, this really could end up being bad on, on all sides and nobody could, this is a trade where nobody could come out as a winner, unfortunately, which is never good for a sports franchise. Cause normally you, you reserve trades to make your team better and make your team have a better chance in the postseason. And this was really just to get this guy out of my locker room I know that guy's been a problem other places, but I'll go ahead and take him. He'll work under my system, and that normally doesn't work out very well. Well, Winnipeg does have an advantage, though. If Pierre-Luc Dubois steps out of line, his dad works for the Manitoba Moose, their farm team, so they can just call his dad to get him back in line and tell him to, you know, get his act in, in gear. Don't call Pops. Leave the dad out of this. <laughs> what I think is the funniest thing about this trade is – you had guys who were vocal about the market that they played in and you both just essentially got traded to a worse market than what you were in before. So jokes on you guys, like you're the suckers in all of this. Pierre-Luc Dubois, your final shift of 45 seconds will go down in infamy as probably the worst and most lazy shift in NHL history. And it got you a ticket to Winnipeg. And I hope you got a bus ticket too, because they don't even have a, an airport in Winnipeg. So joke's well, on you, Pierre-Luc Dubois. I, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois should also wel- welcome the fact that Dustin Bufflin is no longer with the team because if he went in there and was a problem, I think he might find his clothes and uh, such in the shower like one Evander Kane did when he thought he was bigger than the team and, and the city that they played in. It's funny you brought up that point, Ken, because I was thinking about the that whole Blackhawks situation of the players not liking each other, and there were some good stories about Buffalo and Evander Kane. So, 
And uh, uh, go ahead, Jimmy. I mean, just as a guy who obviously likes hockey movies, it's similar, I think, to the goon situation with their when they had Guy Laflamme and he was supposed to be the hot guy, and then he gets injured and starts hating and hating his life, and the team suffers for it. Like, I I don't know this. Honestly, it might have might have just been the coaches trying to stick it to these players who've been thorns in their side for the entire season. Well, hopefully uh, Columbus or Winnipeg can find Doug Glatt and get these guys uh, out of their out of the lull that they're in. I'll give Patrick Line a little bit of credit at least. At least he was trying, and he only played uh, one game in Winnipeg this year, but he had three points, so at least he was trying. Pierre-Luc Dubois just gave up and I don't think Winnipeg got better. What, what happens if he does the same thing there? And all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, get me out of here. I'm not in the limelight enough. Like risky trade in my opinion. Yeah. I know you kind of disagreed with me a little bit, maybe on the fact that I thought Jack Roslovic handled it the best out of the three of them by not signing his deal and just kind of staying away from the team until it got resolved because then he's not as much of a, a distraction as the other guys that are there in the locker room and going to be criticized on everything they do. Yeah, and I had mentioned about Roslevic before. He had no leg to stand on. It's a guy who's a third third line production, thinking he should have been playing on the top two lines in Winnipeg, and all of a sudden holding out and oh, they're not giving me a fair shake. I'm sorry, Roslevic. You never earned it there. Who are you going to replace on that Winnipeg Jets team? Line H, Shifley, Wheeler, Ehlers, like, come on. There's, I don't agree with the Roslevic take at all because he was asking for something he didn't deserve. No, and I, I don't, I'm not saying he was in the right. I just think if you don't want to be there, then don't be there. Don't sign that contract. You're just not going to play. And so the next topic that really caught our eye this week and really came out of nowhere. And again, we're going to go back to the Pittsburgh Penguins, their general manager, Jim Rutherford, just up and quits out of the blue. And I guess ownership was kind of caught off guard. Mario Lemieux was uh, not impressed. Apparently Uh, there are some rumors that have come out that, Rutherford apparently had a trade in place for Chris Letang and ownership came in and nixed it and it potentially led to Jim Rutherford quitting. So I was tremendously shocked when I read that the other day, I didn't see it coming. The guy won a couple of Stanley cups under in, in Pittsburgh and he wasn't scared to make a bold move and try to make his team better. So I'm really interested to see where the Pittsburgh Penguins go from here. This, I think, is probably what Ken was saying earlier. They're probably going to have a rough rest of the season. This is probably going to be reason number one. Um, we talk about it a lot when we when we talk about the NFL, but you got to have a coach and executives in the front office that are on the same page. And we saw what happens when you don't in Philadelphia. I, I'm glad that Pittsburgh didn't let the uh, situation get to the point where their coach or, or whoever was going to be actively tanking the team, but – it, it was shocking. And, and when a guy just steps down like that, especially from that kind of a position, he, he only has like one or two bosses that can fire him. It's not like he, he doesn't have the authority to just do whatever he really wants other than a couple people in the organization. 
I, I don't know. I, this is something that I can't even think of a, a comparison to because nobody in that position just up and quits. Like Players sometimes do it. We saw Rask, you know, he obviously had a better situation. But when you go from guy getting ready to make moves for the franchise and, and finish out the season to, yeah, you know what, I'm just done. There's got to be something else behind the scenes that we're just we're not we're not privy to at this point. Yeah, you know, Trevor, you talked about the dud play of uh, Chris Letang, of Kenny Malkin, and and Rustin on the three and oh. Maybe maybe Letang had something on his mind that he knew his current GM at the time was trying to move him. And I wonder because you know, Trevor, you and I went back uh, well, you know, in our shows where we were predicting the off season, and I predicted Chris Letang getting moved to Winnipeg for Patrick Line. Now, funny that after Patrick Laine's move to Columbus, this comes out and Rutherford quits. So I'm wondering if maybe, I, well, personally, I'd like to be able to say I was right, but I, I did, I did predict that the Pittsburgh Penguins were going to trade Chris Letang. Uh, that was one of my off-season predictions. Almost maybe panned out, but you know, it's going to be interesting because I re- was looking through some of the headlines. Even it said, "What does this mean for Crosby and Malkin going forward?" What does this mean for Mike Johnson still the head coach, right? I should know this. Uh, no, uh, Sullivan, isn't it? Sorry, yeah, Sullivan. Uh, is he now playing or coaching under pressure because they're going to have an interim GM who's within the organization, but if they hire a GM during this season full-time, which they've already, you know, Elliot Friedman put out a list of names of potentials, uh, is he now on the block? Because a lot of times a new GM comes in and they bring their own coaching staff, guys that they're familiar with. So what is that going to do to the, the whole team now playing with a, what happens to me now? I think you're going to see significant change in the next couple of years in Pittsburgh. I think you were going to see that anyways, as Crosby and Malkin definitely get into the twilights of their career. And I think Latang was a valuable asset that could have got you a lot in return. And like you said, Ken, it very well could have been a, a Chris Letang for Patrick Line A type trade. It very well could have been. You better hope it wasn't because you would never have heard the end of that if I was right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we deleted that recording of you you predicting that. <laughs> no, I still got it. I got all, oh, the, okay. all the hard copies. If you guys have tuned in before, you know that the Bleacher Connection is always like one or two barbs away from a, a terrible divorce. So I'll do my best to keep them keep them together on this one. Um, we're going to go to a quick break coming up on the hour mark and we'll hear some messages from our partnerships. We're also going to be back on ColorCast, and we have a new segment coming up. Ask the unhinged hockey experts. So if you're listening on ColorCast, be feel free to send in your questions, comment in those questions and, uh, tell other people to check this out because we're, we like this opportunity to give you guys a, a sneak preview and, uh, we're, we're going to continue to do it. So we'll be right back after this quick break. What's up, Benchwarmers of the Unhinged Sports Network? We got another thing to, to get to because, you know, nobody likes dealing with cable companies in 2020. And here at the Unhinged Sports Network, we wanted to cater to you guys to go into the new age, cut your cable cords with Fubo TV. We have a new link, a new partnership. You can go to the link in our bio, and if you sign up for a subscription through that link, you will kick back a little bit of money to the Unhinged Sports Network so we can continue to bring great content all across this platform. And we got big things coming up in 2021, so you're going to have to 
to get in on this, and we're helping you out in the process. Yeah, make, make your life easier, man. No one likes dealing with cable companies. You don't get half the channels. Um, sometimes there's blackouts. That's not present with Fubo. You can get whatever you want. I can watch Sunday Night Football with no sweat. I can watch... The, or, TN, or I can watch basketball on TNT anytime I want. Um, get, be sure to use Google, man. I'm definitely going to be using it. I hate paying for cable, so I'm going to be using that right right now as we speak, if we're being honest. And I want to make sure to get on that deal so now it's your turn to do the same. Help out the Unhinged Sports Network. Cut your cable cord. Come into the digital age. Thanks, guys. Hey everyone, it's Ken and Trevor from the Bleacher Connection. Make sure to tune into our show every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, to hear us talk hockey, baseball, CFL, and everything in between. Tune in weekly to our That's Offside segment as we discuss controversial topics from the week that was in sports. The Bleacher Connection, a proud part of the Unhinged Sports Network. What's up, bench warmers of the Unhinged Sports Network? Jimmy Pilato, Nico Bryant, and we got some more things to talk to you about because, yes, you can't get anything for Christmas at this point on Fanatics, but it doesn't mean that it's too late to go get your favorite sports fan a new thing to add to his add to his collection. Whatever you want, jerseys, shirts, coasters. I'm pretty sure I saw stickers on there. You, you can still get anything through the link in our bio for Fanatics. It helps out the Unhinged Sports Network as a whole. There is a lot of good stuff. I mean, the, the SEC Championship gear, ACC Championship gear. Big and time. by this time, you'll probably still be listening to, you'll maybe see National Championship gear, Rose Bowl gear, whatever it may be. Anything you want. Literally, literally anything. And you will you can find it on Fanatics, man. Use the link. Make sure to hit the link in our link tree um, that's in all of our bios, man. Because yep. all that stuff is going to be fantastic. Got to use the link, though. Have to use the link. At Pod, all social medias go get you some new stuff from fanatics help out the unhinged sports network thanks guys welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the unhinged exclusive home for hockey talk uh two for chirping we're back and we're live on Colorcast as well wanted to mention that because we have a new segment coming up ask the unhinged experts uh so if you have questions go ahead comment them in the color cast broadcast and if if we feel like you have a good one, we'll go ahead and throw it out to the panel. Um, I'll ask these guys and see if they can keep up. They, they did ask you to be a little bit nice to them uh, with your questions. I'm not going to hold you guys to that rule. I think our unhinged listeners are smart enough on there. So we'll, we'll see what comes of it. But we got a few more around the boards topics to get to before we get to the Ask the Unhinged Experts. So continuing on with some of the news and notes around hockey, John Chaika, former GM of the Arizona Coyotes, finally faced his punishment for, I guess it was uh, some illegal draft maneuvers where he was essentially working out prospects and stuff before in an illegal manner, and they got caught. And he got suspended from the NHL for an entire season as a result of his antics. Good. I'm glad the NHL set this precedent. I think it may have taken a little too long for this punishment to come out. This is this happened. Uh, I think it was over the course of the last two seasons. Ken, correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, it, he stepped away from the Coyotes, so he, he didn't even get fired by the Coyotes. I think that was coming, but he stepped away from the Coyotes as they entered the bubble in Edmonton uh, last season. And yeah, his suspension actually is not just a season, Trevor. He can't be hired or do anything hockey related within the NHL until January 1st, 
2022. So he'll be going into the next season with this suspension uh, going forward. Yeah, so pretty much you could say it's almost a two-year ban because no organization will bring him in midway through the season would be my guess. So I got a big issue with cheaters. We see it in all kinds of sports. And I know a lot of people will say, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Sure. But, you know, we've, we've seen a baseball with steroids. We see it in lots of sports. I just, I don't like the cheating. Obviously it wasn't working that well for the uh, Arizona Coyotes. So whatever he was doing wasn't, uh, wasn't working. But again, I, to me, the bigger story here is cheating in sports. And, and I have a, a massive problem with it. And I just hate it. It, it. it takes away from the integrity of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think John Chaka heard the news about Jim Rutherford and went, Rutherford and went well, that's one I'm not going to apply on. Uh, yeah, I think, honestly, it, it's a start. I think I'm hoping the NHL took their time on it to get it right. I think uh, the suspension he got, it's pretty severe when you think about it. It's he can't do anything within the hockey operations. So he can't even be hired by any team in any aspect to maybe one day then step into a GM position. He's out of hockey for well over a year, essentially. And you're right. What they were doing was not helping uh, Arizona with any kind of advantage. And I think uh, whether he was suspended or not, it was probably going to be a little while before he got uh, another offer, we'll say. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, obviously the cheating, if you're going to cheat, at least cheat well so that you're successful until you get caught. Um, but I think the bigger part of this is the we've seen tampering go on so much, especially the last few seasons in the NBA. And it really, I don't want to start seeing super teams in every league. I don't want to start seeing just star after star go places because they were talking before they were supposed to or getting a, a extra leg up on the competition. I don't think that's right. Um, obviously when I say cheat, if you're going to cheat, cheat well, it's, it's a little tongue in cheek. Um, I think everybody looks for a competitive advantage, but there's a big difference between a competitive advantage and just playing flat out, bending the rules in your favor. Um, there's a way you can do it and, you know, do it, don't disrespect the game that you're playing or working in. That's, that's the main thing. And I think the good thing about the NHL is they always kind of deal out some pretty extreme punishments, but it normally stops the problem that they have. That's why we've never really seen a big steroid scandal in the NHL. Uh, like we said, with a COVID restriction, they, or the COVID sanction they slapped on Washington. I highly doubt any team is going to be willingly breaking protocol moving forward because they know they're going to get a hundred grand fine and just have to play with nobody. Um, so I, I don't have a, a serious problem with this. I think it's probably better for the league moving forward. Correct yeah, me if I'm wrong, Ken. Did they, the Coyotes as a franchise also got ding draft picks on this too, didn't they? I, yeah, I think they, well, they traded away their first to get Taylor Hall. I think they had also traded away their second. So they lost their third round pick. Yeah. And so their first pick in the draft was fourth. And I was going to say, if through all this, pre-workouts and all your pre-scouting on your draft picks, the best they could do was that Mitchell Miller kid. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. they got to do a lot better at cheating if that's what they come up with is the best of the best. Like, come on. The Coyotes, I have zero respect for that franchise, not just for this cheating, but for the fact that they took that kid 
and had to backtrack on it. That is just such a horrible take. And Twitter world, you can come at me all you want. I'm not changing my mind on it. That kid does not deserve a chance to play professional hockey ever. No, no, he doesn't. I, I completely forgot about that. I had almost blocked it out of my mind. And Oh, I didn't forget. Oh yeah. You're right. They, of all the draft picks you do end up coming with that kid. Oh, what a terrible. The Arizona Coyotes should just be a permanent dud every week for that one. For that, let's just put the for sale sign out front and let's get them somewhere else that'll do better than, than what they have. Put this ugly past behind us. Jeez, hell hath no fury like Canadians scorned on hockey. Want to up and move. It's already a struggling market, and we want to just up and move them for obviously it's a bad draft pick and, and the bad, you know, tampering and everything like that. But yeah, I didn't oh, expect it to go that far. This franchise should have been moved a decade ago at the uh, latest. It, it, this, it, this is the one thing I will say about Gary Bettman. He will not admit when he is wrong. Arizona is. 100% an example of Bettman being wrong and making a decision on expansion and doing everything he can to make it work. So he doesn't have to go back and say, I made a mistake. I can understand wanting to try to make it work in one of the biggest U S TV markets out there. And do I agree that they should have been moved? Yeah, they probably should have been, but I, I do want to see it work selfishly just because that's good for hockey but uh, the track record's not great on the uh, Arizona Coyotes. And, and uh, they just, they've never found that player that's put that franchise on the map. And you thought it was maybe going to be Austin Matthews. And then the Toronto Maple Leafs lucked out there and got him instead. And it just, uh, I want it to work out for Arizona, but I'm not convinced it will in the long run. Unlike Vegas, who has a natural local fan base, I think Arizona still competes with, the snowbirds that are there from everywhere else. You, do you really have that local fan base? I think that makes it tough for them and they've never picked that up. Yeah. I, I mentioned it last week. I have a friend who lives in the Phoenix area and I was, I was wearing my NH, my Colorado reverse retro Jersey. And I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, I mean, the coyotes have a pretty cool one too. It's like, honestly, I don't even pay attention to coyotes unless you're in Scottsdale, which is like the richer part of the state. Nobody really cares. Um, so I, I think that there's, I don't know, obviously Bettman's not going to listen to the state telling you, Hey, we don't really give a crap about this team. It's there's a difference between a small market team, like, maybe a Tampa or, or, you know, a team that's not necessarily in a hockey climate, but they still do well at promoting their product. Arizona can't even, I don't think you could pay half of the state to go to a Coyotes game. No, if the Coyotes want to take an example of how to promote the team, I would say Carolina. Like that's a team that is just out there all the time on social media. You see them, whether you're, you want to or not. You're always seeing things about the, the Hurricanes, and that team has a quite the following now. Yeah, they've done a really good job. They, I know they took some flack last season for their storm surges after the games, but it, it's great. It gets new eyes on the product. It gets new fans, especially younger fans. Yeah. And I think a team like the, the Carolina Hurricanes, and I'm going to put Arizona in here, they need to grasp the, the young kids' growing up and make them hockey fans. So Carolina is doing it right, right now. 
they've definitely struggled in the past. So hopefully this, this continues on because I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm a closet Carolina hurricanes fan because they're a fun team. Yeah. They're, they're the least of the 31 teams that I hate. They're at the, the bottom of that hate list. So. Jeez. Right, hey, here we go. I'm a Canucks fan through and through. If they, if they don't make the playoffs, I generally don't go out of my way to I'll watch games, but I'm not, I'm not going to go out of my way to do it. So. Well, no wonder I, I you a, don't know a lot about playoff hockey. No, no, it's just the pickums. I know. <laughs> oh, okay. It's just the pickums I struggled with the last two weeks. So we um, brought up uh, US TV deals in the last segment with kind of the Arizona Coyotes and why the NHL might want to stay there. Well, we got some US TV deal news this week out of NB, NBCSN where they pretty much said, we're pulling the plug in 2021. And they're going to be moving games, it sounds like, to the USA Network. Bit of a shocker, but I think this might be, in the long run, good news for the NHL. They've definitely never had a sweetheart deal with NBC. So hopefully this this is a good thing for the league. I don't know yet how it's going to play out. Yeah, do we, like, this is the last year of this deal. Do we know who's getting it for next season? I I don't know. I, I don't think it's been announced yet. So. Yeah, so as long as it's not Fox and we get that damn glowing puck again, then I'm fine. Like, I mean, Jimmy, maybe you can – is the USA Network a better place for the NHL? I think it's a better place, especially for the American audience. Um, NBCSN, I, I can see where they wanted it there because that's where a lot of uh, soccer, like La Liga and everything like that is played in, in America. So bringing in, obviously, soccer isn't a huge sport in America, but bringing in that audience, because I, I don't know about what NBCSN does outside of the U.S., but I think the USA Network, it's Turner Broadcasting, so they're going to have a little bit more, I think, of a budget to work with. I don't think NBCSN had too much that they were giving the NHL. So it could end up being – you know, just trying to get more eyes on the American product. It's still not going to affect me because I I think I've messaged you guys or I was talking about it to somebody. My, we, we called because we have direct TV at our house and we called to try and see if we can find avalanche games somehow. And direct TV is not carrying altitude, which is the only network playing avalanche games Comcast, which is the other big cable company that we could get doesn't carry altitude. So we can't get avalanche games. It's really, it'll be good because you'll get more, like general eyes on the audience, but you're still, I would still say that the NHL has to work out a better TV deal than what they have, because I, I've wanted to watch avalanche games. I I would sit there and watch every single avalanche game if I had the capability. And I still, for two years, I haven't been able to do that. I get one out of every four games and luckily they've been in the playoffs so I can watch them in the playoffs, but I haven't been able to watch enough regular season hockey and it's frustrating. I think it's disappointing that the, the altitude news that even made news up here where we heard all about it, that the local cable guys aren't even carrying it is it's almost a a travesty because you've got one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team, and you can't even watch them in your own market. It is such a, such a bad, bad look for the NHL, the league and just I, it's it's too bad. It really, really is. So hopefully some new partnerships can get formed out of this. 
maybe maybe Nickelodeon uh, jumps up and uh, <laughs> takes on a bunch of NHL games. Well, I, I joke about it a lot about, you know, ESPN and the Ocho because of the movie Dodgeball. But I do believe maybe ESPN and the Ocho for the NHL could be a thing. Because if you're paying for that package to have all the ESPN channels, maybe they give a dedicated channel to hockey or a couple of them so that you can watch the games a little bit more on, you know, a little easier so that you can grow and show the game to all of North America. The fact that it is so limited from what you're saying, Jimmy, is just mind boggling to me. And I know I struggle with it living out of market for my team. I, I have to wait until the Canucks play the flames or the Oilers to make sure it's a guaranteed viewing night for me or it's a Saturday or hopefully Wednesday night hockey and I get to watch the game. So it, it is frustrating. Not, I get it to, to not watch your team, but I think the NHL needs to, especially in this time to grow the game and get more eyes on everything. They need to open up and lessen the restrictions. In my well, opinion, I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be ESPN, right, Jimmy? It should be, but I just wanted to bring up, we talked about the MLB and how they're kind of falling out with younger fans because they put so many restrictions on their content. If you're going to do that, like I live right in the middle, I'm 20 minutes from Pepsi Center or Ball Arena, whatever you want to call it. So not being able to go live and then not being able to just watch on TV you're not going to get fans like me where I grew up with the avalanche and I know about the old glory because nobody's going to be able to watch them unless you are a dedicated sports fan. You're, you're just not going to get it. And I hockey struggles enough. I think in, in the U S it's, it's been better, but it struggles enough getting new fans. This is uh, there's something that they got to do. Bettman, if he does anything before he's not the commissioner of the league anymore, he's got to figure out some way to, to make sure that the younger fans are able to get in on this. And, you know, a lot of these old business people think that if you give something away for free, nobody's going to want to pay for it. I think that's the complete opposite. If you gave us avalanche games for free, maybe you start getting more people buy center ice because they won't get into hockey a little bit more. I mean, I know I, I told my mom not to buy center ice because the avalanche were going to be on it anyways, but I, I know that it would be something like, I, I enjoy hockey enough that I would buy center ice if I knew I could watch my team plus all the other games. It, it wouldn't be a detriment to give something for free and then kind of hook them on the back end too. So the business model is just absolutely backwards and, and it's screwed up and I hope they fix it somehow. We have to get NHL hockey ahead of horse racing in the U.S. I, I go back to that playoff hockey and the NBC or whoever it was switches over to the Kentucky Derby pre-show because that's more important in the viewer's eyes and restrictions are not going to do that. They got to open it up for sure. Or otherwise you're not going to get a lot of Austin Matthews in Arizona watching hockey and going on to be a number one overall pick. It's not going to happen. So in keeping with the theme of NBC, they made some news in the last couple of weeks by bringing in a disgruntled for I know I guess disgruntled is not the right word a a former head coach from the league that may have had a checkered past let's call it NBC brought back Mike Babcock who a few years ago was fired from the Toronto Maple Leafs 
And subsequently stories came out shortly after the kind of around that Bill Peters time with the whole Akeem Alou uh, racism story. Stories came out about Mike Babcock as well, treating players like absolute junk. And to my dismay, NBC has brought him back and given him a platform again. I know I have a lot of uh, strong opinions that I probably can't share about it on this show. Ken, what do you think of this? Well, I think what what do we call it, Trevor? The uh, reputation rehab tour is what uh, he's got going on right now. He's not that far removed from a head coaching job in Toronto. It was, it was last season, was it not, that he got fired? Yeah. Uh, he has a history because it's not just there. It goes back to Detroit where a lot of former players have a very heavy, and I will use the word, hatred for Mike Babcock. Uh, the whole story that kind of got him finished in Toronto and has him currently sitting out uh, looking inside on the NHL was that he had Mitch Marner in his office and asked him where he ranked himself and the team on the effort level. And I guess Mitch gave him the ranking. He wrote it down and Mitch Marner left the office. In comes Tyler Bozak and Babcock doesn't remove the list from his desk. So Tyler Bozak comes in, sits down and sees this list and they start talking and Babcock realizes it and says, Oh, well, this is how Mitch sees it. How do you see it? So, in, and instead of stopping everything and going out and diffusing it, speaking to the team, all he did is he, he, and these are his words, he went to Mitch Marner and said, I screwed you. And that was it. And he let it go. And I don't know. I just, I think it was it Mike Commodore oh, that yeah. has the biggest issue with him. Yeah. Like, we can we wouldn't read the tweets on here because he doesn't hold back and we do try and keep it clean. Uh, I, I just find it so unsettling that guys like Mike Babcock and Bill Peters, because Bill Peters had a coaching job in the KHL within months of his firing for essentially being a racist. And I'm not surprised that he's getting another option, another chance, sorry. But wasn't it NBC that just fired Jeremy Roenick for comments and that Mike he Milbury. made while on another? Yeah, and Mike Milbury. Uh, so what are you really doing by bringing in Babcock? You're not changing any culture. You're just essentially changing the, the butt in the seat. Yeah. yeah I, I, go ahead, Jimmy. It's just, you know, sometimes it's almost like – they want to look good by getting rid of a problem, but they still need the ratings that the problem brings. So they're going to bring in a different one. It's uh, it, it, it could be very similar to the philosophy of why the TV deals are the way that they are. It's just old businessmen that think they know what what's best and they can distract you over here by getting rid of the one problem. And then they bring in this guy underneath your nose and nobody really thinks about it because honestly, I didn't even hear about this story until you guys brought it up if a guy has caused that much of an issue, no matter where he is, there shouldn't be any reason that he gets a, a second chance or a third chance or whatever he's on. For those uh, that don't follow Mike Commodore on Twitter, follow at commie 22 and you will get the unfiltered version of what a lot of players think of Mike Babcock, where he openly calls him a POS and uh, yeah, it's, it's, 
If you want the unfiltered version, I would highly recommend uh, looking him up on Twitter. The guy's a, he's a, he's a douchebag. That's what I'm going to say. Mike Babcock is a douchebag. He's, he's, yeah he's awful. He doesn't belong in hockey. He, he treats his players like absolute garbage. Great players, Johan friends and in, in Detroit essentially retired because of Mike Babcock and how poorly he treated him. And there's become, uh, this has almost become commonplace, these stories in hockey recently. And it disappoints me to no end that a guy like Mike Babcock, Mike Babcock gets a second chance after the way he's treated people. It, it's unbelievable in my opinion. Yeah, I think Mike Commodore, because he's retired and out of the league, is taking the opportunity to say what a lot of people still in the league would really like to say. And I don't understand why NBC wants him there, because to me, he doesn't have a great personality. He doesn't come across as an exciting guy to talk to. And, you know, Trevor, I know you and I, we used to talk about how it was exciting to have Mike Babcock was the uh, head coach of our university hockey team that took him to a canadian champ you know university championship and now it's like can we just forget that ever happened and and never talk about it again yeah he was a coach in in lethbridge alberta canada for the university of lethbridge pronghorns and stories came out even then about him and the way he treated so this this isn't something new he's been all the way up through the ranks of hockey He's treated people like absolute dirt. And I was so happy when he was out of the game. And now, you know, shame on NBC. This is terrible. So moving on to our our last topic and around the boards. And it's just a topic that dominates every discussion nowadays. And that's COVID is wreaking a little bit of havoc in the world of hockey. You've got Dallas missed a ton, ton of games, Carolina, the Hurricanes missed some games. Now the Vegas Golden Knights have some issues. Uh, the National Women's Hockey League just started up this week, and one of the teams had to leave the bubble because of COVID. Uh, was it the Riveteers or something like that, Ken? Yeah. Like, yeah, that was the team that had to go. It, it's, this is never going to go away, and, and I'm, I'm really tired of talking about it. But unfortunately, COVID's starting to play games on in the NHL, and I hope we can get it under control quickly. Yeah. I think my biggest issue with what's going on with COVID in the NHL right now is you had the San Jose sharks told by was it Santa Clara County that they cannot uh, play practice hold camp, anything in their own city, in their own arena because of COVID because of how bad it was there. Yet in California, an hour north, the Golden State Warriors are hosting home games and playing in the NBA. Santa Clara County said, no, you can't be here. You can't play. So they had to hold camp in Arizona with the Coyotes in their arena, share the facility. And luckily enough, no cases of COVID by having double the occupancy in that building. Turns out that the Sharks did have to play a couple of their home games there but will be returning to San Jose for February 13th. Now that's great. That's good news. But my biggest problem is Arizona, Florida, and Dallas. Dallas, who missed a week and a half of the season, had to push their games back because of COVID, because they had 
17 of 27 cases at the start of the season are all averaging 3,500 to 4,000 fans at games. And now Tampa Bay is looks to be rescinding on their rescinding of having fans. Why are we having anyone in these arenas that don't need to be there? I'm completely flabbergasted by this. What revenue are you actually getting out of this? Because you're only getting 3,500, 4,000 fans. Now, some of the reports there, people have said, yeah, I was at a game and mask use in the lower bowl. Yeah, they're all over it because they're on TV. They have ushers, they have people in there enforcing it, but you can take it off to eat and drink. And in the upper bowls where you're not on TV, it's not that good. So why are we risking the entire season that we are playing, which is already kind of questionable, by having any fans in these arenas? What is the point? It, it honestly, it stems from the entire handling of the situation. I don't want to be political. We, uh, I do a good, good portion of my time. I try to spend making sure that things don't get political because I think sports are, are a way to get away from it. But if there was a uniform way that everybody handled it, if the NHL came out and said, you know, screw it, you guys don't get fans because we need to make sure that there's Everybody has an even playing field. Everybody has the same things going on. I think that nips everything that we're seeing in the butt. But with all the teams being able to decide when and where they have fans and the different state legislatures, uh, I'm not sure how the, the provinces are up in Canada, whether they're all uniform or not. But when there's no uniformity, you have room for give and take. And that's where we're seeing the Tampa Bay going, Oh, we're not going to have fans. Sorry. I never said that. Actually, we're going to have fans and you're just going to continue to get the same cycle. I, I don't know. I think the NHL needs to give out those punishment. The punishment that they gave Washington needs to be the uniform punishment that they give teams from now on, because I highly doubt that Washington is ever going to do anything like that again, like we said, but since that's not uniform across the league and all these other teams are maybe getting a reprieve or, uh, hey, sorry, whoops, slap on the wrist, it's going to continue to go on. And, and that's why we're seeing some of the backtracking and some of the weird, weird scenarios that we are seeing. Yeah, I think the only thing the Canadian governments, the provinces have been uniform on is the decision whether to allow hockey or not. They were all doing different things uh, for everything else. But when it came to hockey, they all kind of banned, well, maybe not Alberta, because they've just gone rogue on a lot of stuff, but uh, the way we roll. Yeah. But what gets me though, with Dallas though, my biggest issue with our, like where I go, are you kidding me? Dallas County. I think it's Dallas County. If I'm wrong, I'm, I apologize. The County that the, the team plays out of is one of the biggest hotbeds of COVID COVID in the U S right now. And you're going to allow people in the arena. What are you doing? I, I think it's crazy. Like I understand the revenue ramifications and I get that, but you're talking so few fans for so few games that is it really worth the risk? Especially like you said, what, what happens if Dallas gets ravaged by COVID again, spreads it to three other teams you're just looking at uh, uh, the potential of a, a huge problem. And all just to have a few thousand butts in the seats for a couple of games. I don't know. I, I feel like they may have could have gone without it, but 
from, you know, I also, I'm not the owner of any of these teams and my pocketbook isn't being affected by it. So uh, I guess these guys, again, you know, money quite often trumps public health. So I, yeah, go ahead. Remember by Bettman's statement, the owner said we would have saved a lot, a lot of money by not playing where they knew they were going to lose money. So why take the health risk for their fans that they care so much about and their players and the arena staff and everything else? I just think it's, I think it's ridiculous. And and honestly, how much is 4,000 fans going to affect the the bottom line that you're going to lose? It's not like it's, it can't be a saving grace for just having 3000 people there unless you charge them $150 a ticket. I, I don't see how that math works out. It just, if they were upfront with it, I think that might've, you know, lessened the issue. If they were all uniform, that might've lessened the issue. But at this point, we're just going to continue to see, it's almost like a dog chasing its tail at this point. We're going to continue yeah. to run around and around and who knows if there's going to be another outbreak, highly possible, highly probable at this point. And it's going to be, it's going to be bad because Dallas already got a few extra weeks of rest on everybody else. <laughs> And then they get another break in the middle of the season. And I know there's a, a Dallas fan on ColorCast, so I might be uh, might be turning him off from the show. But it, it, it doesn't make it, it makes no sense. There's no reason you can't tell me 3,500 fans are going to save your franchise or save your franchise anywhere close to more than a thousand dollars that you're going to lose. Well, you're maybe looking at a couple million dollars over the course of this season, and it, is that worth more than people's health? The only team that's benefiting from this sharp increase in attendance is the Florida Panthers. Well, it just looks like a normal night for them. So, yeah, it's, it's disappointing, but I, I understand why they're doing it. I just, I wish they weren't. So there you have it. That's our around the board segment for this week. Did you guys agree with some of the takes? What did you guys think of the Patrick line, Pierre Luc Dubois trade? Reach out to us on Twitter at two for chirping or Ken at the BleacherCon two. I'm Trevor at the BleacherCon one. And you got Jimmy from far end of the bench at FEOTB pod. So moving into our final segment of the show, and this is our new segment that we're going to test out this week. And that is ask the unhinged experts. So we're going to let Jimmy take it away on us and uh, let's see what he's come up with this week. And, Ken and I will do our best to give um, reasonable responses and we'll, we'll try not to uh, upset too many fan bases while we're at it. You didn't tell me how to be reasonable about this. Why are uh, we putting limits Canadians on Canadians be reasonable about hockey? That, that, that can't be. Uh, you guys want to start with color cast or you guys want to start with some of the questions that we had prepared? I, I'll leave it up to you guys. Let's absolutely start with color cast. Let's go full rogue here. All right. Uh, well, I mentioned we had a Stars fan, uh, and he doesn't have a username on here, but w- what are your honest opinions about just Dallas as a team? Um, wh- what do you think, barring COVID and, and everything like that, do you think that they have a chance of uh, pushing? We said Tampa is probably going to run away with the Central. Uh, do you think that they have a chance to make a deep run in the playoffs again, or do you think that was maybe a one-year one year and done kind of situation? Ken, why don't you take off on this one first? Yeah, I I think with Dallas, I think they have the team to do it. I'm a little surprised they haven't done it more with some of the the cast that they have on that team. You got 
uh, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben, Radulov, you know, the goaltending with Bishop and Gudobin. I think they have it. If they can get it rolling, I know they had uh, their ownership was not overly happy a couple years ago with uh, Sagan and Ben's play, but I, I think if they can keep it going and get those guys to be a little more consistent and a less, um, I'm not going to say what the owner did, but better consistency out of Ben and Sagan playing like they are. I, I think that Dallas could push for it. Uh, it was the goaltending for myself a little bit this year, whether they were going to get the same out of Gudobin uh, and how Bishop was going to play if, if he was in there. I think they're built for it. I'm a little surprised that it, it just kind of came together last year. When I look at the Dallas stars, uh, I think they're legit. I, I believe in my predictions, I had them second or third in that division. Um, I think behind there with Carolina, I, some of those guys they have on the blue line, like Miro Heiskanen, that guy is one of the best in the league. Uh, I got to see him torch my Calgary flames in the playoffs last year. And he continued on in, in the next round and throughout the playoffs. Uh, you got John Klingberg, who's sneaky good, big body, well positioned. Um, uh, Alexiak is just your steady, stay at home guy. And then you got Ben Sagan. Like I, I've always been a massive Jamie Ben fan, even going back to uh, just his time with the Kelowna Rockets. The guy's been just a beast of a hockey player. I uh, he. He, he led the league in points a few years ago. Granted, it was only like 80-something points that he had, but he's a dominating force. And he slowed down a little bit the last couple of years, but it, you still have the firepower up front. Uh, Dennis Gurianoff, to me, is, an, is a budding star in the league. The wheels on that guy is incredible. And I just – I don't see any reason why they couldn't do it again. I think uh, a little bit of wariness from a long playoff run – might hinder that team a little bit, but they're, they're, they're legit in my opinion. Yeah. I've, they got some youth in there too, that are, that'll come in and, and help those, you know, maybe older players now, but I think they're set up for, for a good while if they can keep it all together. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it was a rookie who got the game clinching or series clinching goal against the avalanche to put them in the Western conference uh, finals during the playoffs. And Funny enough, you guys mentioned Miro Haskin, and that was another part of his question was what what we thought about him. So uh, keep sending in questions. If, if we get another few good ones, I'll go ahead and throw those out here for our Ask the Unhinged Experts. And now we have a couple here that we were talking about before the show. Um, let's go with uh, – we were talking a little bit about surprise moves maybe in the front office. Let's talk about coaching. Who do you guys think is, is kind of on the hot seat for – What's going to be a wacky season with COVID? Who do you guys think will be the first coaching casualty uh, from the NHL? Well, I'll lead off on this one. And I've got a couple of, uh, I guess you could call them, I don't really call them prime candidates, but my first one's going to be my local team, Jeff Ward with the Calgary Flames. They started out like a house on fire. They absolutely steamrolled the Canucks in two games. They had a hard-fought game against... um, Ah, sorry, Ken, you got to take that shot. I know you're going to bring it up. Every they, time. they had a hard fought game against the, the Jets. They had a couple of hard fought games against the Leafs, but they've also had some major lows where when they have a bad period or a bad game, they look like the 31st or 30th place team in the NHL. And then they'll have a period where they look like the first place team in the NHL. So 
there is just so much inconsistency on a day-to-day -day basis and has been for a while with this team. So right at the top of my list is, it's got to be Jeff Ward with the Calgary Flames. Yeah, I think for myself, I will, I got, I got a couple, but I, I kind of worry about Travis Green in Vancouver just because he is in the last year of his deal. The intent is to sign him, but I look at that one as what's going to happen with Benning because there's a lot of questions around some of his decision-making. I know the fan base isn't sold on him and whether ownership does anything, but the going into the season, not re-upping Travis Green is questionable based on what he can do with the youngsters. For me, I'm going to go out east with the one coach that I'm really, I think, has a lot of pressure on him. He hasn't been at the helm very long, but I'm going to put uh, Sheldon Keefe on watch in Toronto. That's a team that has a lot of firepower, and if they somehow don't I, – I have him not making the playoffs, but you know, a lot of people – disagree with my take on that one but whether they make the playoffs or not if they don't get out of the first round I don't think that there's going to be a lot of executives left in that franchise uh, when it comes down to it a lot of talent with very little results so I think even though he's only been there for a very short period of time I don't think Sheldon Keefe is safe if that team doesn't succeed this year I think the, the first coaching casualty that might actually happen soon if this team continues to underperform the way that they have, and that's the New York Rangers, is David Quinn of the Rangers. They're currently at the bottom of their division, and they're getting scored on left, right, and center. Now, is there a, hundred, a Henrik Lundqvist effect there on the two young goalies? Quite possibly. They, they haven't been playing as well, but... When you got a team with as many young superstars, uh, Artemi Panarin, uh, you got Lafreniere in there this year, you got Zibanejad, they're at the bottom of the standings and not looking good. If this continues, David Quinn might be the first one gone this year. Yeah, I think another one out east is DJ Smith in Ottawa. Uh, if they continue on with this lackluster performance i mean right now they're they're trailing 3-1 to vancouver that makes it 15 to 3 over three games if they continue this and he doesn't get anything out of those youngsters and get them rolling i think uh i think he can be done pretty quick there you go um for the coaching casualties it's interesting you guys both pick canadian teams at first because i think there's still that stigma of trying to break the canadian curse for the stanley cup and and at this point, they got to do whatever they can. Um, moving on, we have another question from our color cast listeners. This one is from at Evan. Uh, you missed last week when we had Preston from in the Marbles Weekly Racing Podcast. You'll be able to catch that episode on the Bleacher Connection feed coming up Sunday. But he wants to know what you guys think the Blackhawks can do to right the ship. Is it a lost cause or, or do you think that they have the ability to maybe turn themselves around this season? Well, for those that didn't get to hear the episode last week, we uh, we had an over-under on whether we thought the Blackhawks were going to win 10 games or not this year. Uh, most of us chose the over. Uh, I, not I, I by can't much. remember. Yeah, or not by much. but <laughs> I, I might have picked the under on that one. To me, the Blackhawks are – they played better in the last week. I'll give them that credit. Um, 
though those games were against Detroit, so were they really that much better? Let's face it, these guys, are they're most likely in a rebuilding mode. I'm going to say Jonathan Taves probably isn't going to play this year. You know, Captain like Captain Sirius, he, he's kind of the, 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 heart, the heartbeat of that team. The goaltending's a, a tire fire, I guess to put it politely. I just, I don't see that team doing much this year. They got no cap space to do anything. And you just got an aging core that their, their better days are behind them. They, they won their cups, good on them. But I, I think we're in for multiple seasons where the Blackhawks aren't going to be very good. Yeah, I think their fall into a rebuild mode was a free fall. I think it hit them with like a ton of bricks. And Crawford leaving and signing in New Jersey to then retire halfway through camp, uh, I take issue with that a little bit. That's another day, though. I think it's going to take a lot for Chicago to turn it around quicker than maybe some other franchises have. And I think, sorry, Chicago Blackhawk fans, it's going to take a Taves or Kane trade to do it. I think you're going to have to look at uh, shoring up your goaltending because Malcolm Subban just isn't cutting it. And you might have to move a Taves or a Kane to maybe Dallas for a Ben Bishop or a Gudobin. To, if you want to get one of those guys, you're going to have to move one of those pieces so that you have the money to build around it. If you don't do that, if you don't find a way to shed Seabrook's contract, Duncan Keith's contract, you're in it for the long haul with a lot of losing years. And it's going to take some drastic moves that are really going to shake up that franchise's core and maybe leave some fans with some hurt feelings. But they unfortunately have made a very quick dissension into rebuild. And it could be a long one if they aren't able to make those cap saving moves. No, no, Ken may disagree with me a little bit here, but the NHL is a better place when the Chicago Blackhawks are a good team. That's a a major market, lots of eyes on it and a storied storied franchise as well. So I hope they turn it around quickly because it's good for the NHL. It's good for the entire league when the Blackhawks are a good team. Yeah. And I mean, I have some, you know, Vancouver Canuck feelings towards that. Why uh, I may enjoy seeing them lose for a little bit, but I do think that overall the league is much better when all the teams are competitive. It's not good when you have the Detroit Red Wings being absolutely horrible and the Blackhawks struggling it, Ottawa Senators the same. It's not good. It's it. It's going to get people to tune away from the game if it's just continuous blowout after blowout after blowout, and it's not competitive hockey. You're not building anything, and you're not drawing anyone in. You get you. It's every now and then. It's good. Do you enjoy it? But you don't want to see it every time you turn on a certain team. Yeah, and we have the one Blackhawk fan who's listening. Evan, thanks for sending in that question on Colorcast. Um, he agrees. He, he thinks that there should have been a rebuild happening more before the offense started losing their speed. Um, and I, I think that's probably something I will say when you're talking about trading franchise pieces like that, it's, it's a little bit unnerving. I mentioned the Matt Duchesne trade on this show before. And when that happened, there was a lot of people very, very upset because they did that and then gave McKinnon a lot of money and a long-term deal. 
ended up working out for the better. So you always have to kind of gamble on that, but it's better. I said it, it's the Bill Walsh philosophy when he was putting together his San Francisco teams that won Super Bowls for basically a, a decade and a half. Better to get rid of a guy one year too early than one year too late. You can deal with him having a good season, but if he starts kind of bringing yourself, your own franchise down, that's when you kind of realize that you maybe maybe should have moved on a, a little bit sooner than you did. And it's also good to be able to move those pieces when they still have value. If you wait another, say, two years on a Patrick Kane trade, you're going to get a lot less back for him then if, than you would now if you make that move. You're, you're going to get back picks and NHL players you can pop in the lineup and hopefully be a little more successful with. Yeah, there's there's always factors that go into that. Thank you, Evan, for that question. Uh, thank you, everybody who tuned in on ColorCast. I think we are uh, – we, we, don't really have enough time because the other question I wanted to get to was the point system. We might save that for another episode. Um, so I, I think this might be a good time to maybe plug all of our stuff and where they can hear this show on the Unhinged Sports Network and our own podcast as well. If you've enjoyed listening, I, I know that Bleacher Connection always has a lot of fun topics. I, I tune into their that's offside and sometimes I agree, sometimes I don't. And then Nico and myself always, uh, we have some big things coming. I'm not going to give away too much, but uh, the Unhinged Sports Network has great podcasts and the Bleacher Connection and Far End of the Bench are among the top of those podcasts, in my humble opinion. So let's go ahead and uh, maybe send this one home, uh, this episode of Two for Chirping, guys. Yeah, so for the Bleacher Connection with Trevor and I, uh, you can find us on Twitter. Trevor's at the BleacherCon1. I'm at the BleacherCon2. That way, if either one of us says something you disagree with, you can send it the right way. Um <laughs> just in case you know uh but yeah you can find us uh every tuesday on the unhinged sports network at uh 3 p.m eastern noon pacific that's our uh premiere show and then we're throughout the week uh you can find us at, at various times for all the times if you go to either trevor or my uh profile on twitter you can find all the times for the shows as for two for chirping you can find us on twitter Two for Chirping, at Two for Chirping. This show airs every Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And again, we have replays throughout the weekend and in and on Monday as well. And again, we really enjoy hearing from everyone. So if you have anything that you want to hear us talk about or that we were off base on, let us know. We'd love to talk to you guys in BS. We're very active on Twitter, so... If you guys ask us a question, I can guarantee we will reply and we love to talk hockey. It's, uh, it's kind of our thing, Ken. There's not yeah. much else to do right now. So we love talking hockey. So we would love to hear from you guys. A little disclaimer, the show is called two for chirping, not just because it's a, a fun name and it goes with hockey. If you have a take and you, and you don't agree with one of us, I know that we all have no problem calling you out for a bad take. So be sure to come correct. If you guys do reach out to us on social media, like uh, Ken said, he is at the bleacher con two Trevor's at the bleacher con one and the show Twitter is at two for chirping. Uh, I'm Jimmy Pilato from the far end of the bench podcast. Our show airs Wednesdays from, from one to 3 PM Eastern, um, 11 o'clock mountain time, which is where we normally say, cause that's where most of our fan base is, but we're a general sports talk show as well. Um, and we do have, we focus a little bit more on the sports betting and, and a little bit more on the out, outlandish takes and, and try and 
crack the other up and see if we can get the other to rip their hair out. Uh, my co-host Nico and I have been friends for a long time. So we have that kind of uh, friendship where we can go at each other pretty hard, but we're also pretty active on social media. We're big nuggets and avalanche fans. So uh, we're, we're not fans of the stars right now or the Clippers because those were the two teams that gave us the most <laughs> problems in the playoffs. But we, you can find us on Twitter at uh, FEOTB pod um, Instagram as well. And then uh Follow the Unhinged Sports Network at Network Unhinged on Twitter, at Unhinged SN on Instagram. Um, there's 15 great shows for, and all different kinds of topics. We have basketball-centered shows. We have a, a new pro wrestling show, which uh, I know in Canada is pretty big with Bret Hart and Nico and I are pretty big fans of. So there's plenty of great content coming from the Unhinged Sports Network. And like we said, we're going to be doing a lot more stuff with ColorCast like this. Um, and then Nico and I are also going to be broadcasting the Nuggets for Spurs game tomorrow. So if you don't want to listen to the national broadcasters or the local broadcasters, you can tune in and hear us go on and on and uh, uh, talk about that. So I think that's everything. Guys, do you have anything else you want to tell the listeners for, for the week as we move forward for, through this episode? I just got to say, Jimmy, I'm loving all your guys' wrestling memes on Twitter right now about the Super Bowl. It, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's some good stuff. Yeah, I think one of the 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 Hulk Hogan rock one is probably one of my favorites right now. How how this Super Bowl is gonna you know play out? Yeah, uh, I saw that and it was too good to pass up. We also uh, talking about we talked about Drew Brees at the beginning of the show, the Shawn Michaels when he retires Ric Flair and, and says, "I'm yes. sorry, I love yeah. you." Yeah, I, I couldn't. Nico's the one who found that one, and I give him all the credit because that was just incredible. So. Like we said, follow us on social media. We're all super active at the BleacherCon 1, at the BleacherCon 2, at 2 for Chirping, and at FEOTB Pod. Um, and with that, this has been the Unhinged Sports Network exclusive hockey talk show, 2 for Chirping. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you guys down the road.